Okay, welcome to my show, um, The Journal with Naya Amara. I am so excited today to have my guest, Dr. Clonora Hudson. She's a professor, she's an intellect, she's a screenwriter, and of course, she's the author of Africana Womanism, Reclaiming Ourselves. Welcome, Dr. Hudson. Thank you. My pleasure being here with you, Naya, this morning. Thank you. So I just thought that this would be a a beautiful opportunity for us to kind of discuss Africana womanism with everything that's right. going on in the world um, and with the unfortunate death of um, Mr. Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I just wanted to take the time to kind of get people involved in the conversation and have discussions regarding what it is that we can do to improve our overall health, wellness, and of course, to heal from racial injustice in this country. So what I wanted to ask you, Dr. Hudson, I wanted to really know about um, the foundational um, underprintings um, of Africana womanism and kind of where did you get the idea? Well, actually, it just came to me because after going to, you know, one uh, national conference after another and hearing uh, my colleagues always identifying with a paradigm that never had us in mind in the first place. I kept saying, when does this uh, stop and how did it get started? Because I came from a community of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the South, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I had a wonderful mother who actually, uh, was my model. So I, I think she is a model African womanist, you know. And so, and my father, my mother and my father were very, very close. Uh, they worked together. It was a family-centered uh, construct uh, in our family. We loved it and we celebrated it. And we were always uh, in it together. And, you know, I have your back, boo, that type of thing. That's just the way we were. And so when I see these women who are, uh, particularly my colleagues, uh, identifying with the paradigm, uh, that uh, that did not include us, I kept saying, why? You know, because that just doesn't usually happen. If you're not welcomed, you're not interested. It's simple as that. And so, um, and you don't try to make your uh, life fit around something that is alien or outside of your, you know, domain, so to speak. So that's how it got started. And so I remember going to the, uh, I was at the University of Iowa working on my doctorate at the time. I went there in 1985. And I remember um, uh, going to the National Council for Black Studies uh, annual conference in March. It was early March of uh, 1986. I had been in Iowa since uh, the fall of 85. So you're talking about uh, into the second semester. Uh, I had been asked to do a, um, um, I think it was a plenary uh, that had also, um, um, I chose to have not just women, but, uh, you know, male representation too. It was because of the fact that I was beginning to debate all over the place. In fact, I had a big debate <laughs> in Iowa City. Shortly after I got there, it was a TV thing, you know, with a lady who was, you know, a black feminist. And, uh, you know, and I said, uh, I'm just telling you up straight, that's just not who I am. Uh, I made that clear in my classroom, you know, I had a classroom, uh, there and I was one of two black women in the class, you know, two women, two a uh, one of two blacks. Period, in the class and 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 uh, when I found, uh, you know, that lean towards um, 
buying into someone else's agenda, I just always found it offensive. I kept saying it just doesn't work. And that's why I decided I'm going to have to create my own for us. And uh, I named it early on in the, in the mid 80s, 85, I named it Black Womanism. Later on uh, in the 80s, um, I decided that Africana womanism was more appropriate because I wanted to bring in the land base of Africa. But at any rate, when I went to the conference, it was really interesting. Um, I had this panel and uh, one of the, uh, one of my colleagues stood up, you know, and she said, I just want to know, uh, you know, this is on Af uh, black womanism, it was called then. Why is there a male on your panel? I said, because it's my panel and I choose to include the male sector. In fact, um, I really can't imagine, uh, and you, you really shouldn't either, nobody should, uh, that's the natural way that God has uh, fixed it, you know, that we have to have each other, male, female. That's just the way it is. I said, and so I wanted to reflect, uh, since I'm writing, I'm specifically myself speaking on the um, Black um, family. I'm speaking on male, female relationships. Uh, I'm speaking on um, just, just how we, who we are and how we operate on a daily basis. Uh, that means that uh, the way it has been structured out there, so-called officially structured, that, that, was not the, that was not the equation. So somebody had to do it. So there, here, here I am, uh, you know, standing up and saying uh, feminism or black feminism specifically is not uh, appropriate because it is, first of all, family, it's not family centered, it is uh, female centered. Female centrality is not us. We don't think about ourselves first and foremost. We always think about the family first. You know how that has always been. And I said, so that, that's not reflective. Literature is supposed to, since I was going to be specifically speaking on Black women writers, Zorni Hurston being one of them, I said, uh, I got to make sure that since literature reflects life, that I have accuracy here. That's, a, that's how it has to be. So that's how it started. Uh, I remember... Um, when I finished the presentation and the, we opened the floor, I, I told him right before that, I said, you can call it anything. You don't have to call it black womanism. Call it anything. Name it yourself. You can, it can be called whatever. That's fine. I'll accept it because this is new, the naming for us. But it's always been here. You know, I know that. I named it African womanism, but quite frankly, what I'm thinking and what I have in my head has always been there. It dates back to African antiquity. We are always together, family-centered, strong, you know, interconnected, that type of thing. That's just the way it is. So when I finished, one of my colleagues, very renowned uh, author, she stood up, she said, Nora is, is, she's right. You know, I knew that that feminism wasn't working, but you know, there was no other paradigm out there that had been uh, identified, named, and defined, uh, and refined as you seem to be doing now, that we just simply say, okay, that'll work. So, you know, we were making ourselves fit that mode. And I'm saying, that's ludicrous when you really think about it. Uh, when they call, for example, um, and I don't want to talk too much, <laughs> I just, it just never stops. But when, when they call early, uh, 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 you know, uh, Black women in the struggle here in the U.S. that we identify with, beginning with uh, um, uh, Harriet Tubman, the Underground Railroad conductor. Uh, she was definitely not female-centered. She did not go down south 19 recorded times, 
for her female, uh, for her sisters. She did not. She went down there for men, women, and children who were in captivity there. That's it. Uh, as well, when you think about uh, people like um, uh, Adderby Wales, who started the anti-lynching crusade because a male friend of hers was lynched in, in, in Memphis, he and his partners, because they opened up a grocery store in Memphis, Tennessee. Again, uh, it was not female-centered. You understand? It just simply didn't make any sense. And so I, that's, that's when I started really, really dissecting it and looking at the origins of feminism, taking it back to the suffragette movement uh, in the uh, uh, 1800s, you know, uh, that's uh, the precursor for feminism, okay? And I'm saying they joined us or invited us to join them because we know how it is. The more the merrier in America is the majority that's supposed to win, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, that boosted their, um, their numbers up. So, you know, uh, they joined uh, Black men and women just like uh, uh, Sojourner Truth articulates in, in Aren't Our Woman, right? They join, and uh, it's always been the case that the, uh, the underling, quote unquote, has to in some way uh, assimilate to uh, the ways of the dominant uh, figures, okay? The dominant culture is the one who do, names and defines, okay? Right. And I'm saying again, no, that does not work. And so uh, I just looked at Albie Wells and said, hey, that's the that's the that's the uh that's the ultimate right there i mean here it is uh the turn of this century okay when i say this century uh the 20th century uh in the ninth early 1900s when she said no 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 i'm going to join the male here and i'm going to investigate and i'm going to prove that black men were not being lynched because of some indiscretion uh, or whatever with white women it, it was proven you know, it was a fact of uh, money, economics. They did not want the, the grocery store owners, did not want a black grocery store owner in a black neighborhood. They preferred to keep it that way. It's as simple as that. And, and we could go on and on. But that's how it got started. My colleagues were saying, wow, I'm glad you did it because, you know, I knew it wasn't working. I said, why didn't you do it? <laughs> that's the we have been going along too long. So it's time to stop. It's just like what we're going through today. It's time to stop. Okay. Thank you. So, you know, it sounds like that you were really influenced by the activism and 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 like of Ida B. Wells. Um, right. Can you define for us what Africana woman is for those of us who are may not be aware of it and you know okay. the entire yeah. construct. Okay, Africana womanism is an authentic uh, global paradigm uh, designed for all women of African descent. Uh, it is first and foremost uh, family-centered. It focuses on and insists upon the prioritization of race, class, and gender. Uh, as you know, other female uh, constructs don't do that. Uh, but we are saying the prioritization of race, class, and gender. Not the simultaneity of race, class, and gender that the Black feminist calls for, not uh, gender exclusivity that the feminist calls for, but instead it's what Africana womanism mandates. And that is the prioritization of race first, then class, then gender, which doesn't in any way suggest that gender is not important. And you can look at so many writers uh, 
who did not have the privy of a name, a proper name for themselves, who, like, for example, African uh, writers, like, for example, Chiamastetti, Philomena Chiamastetti. Uh, I could quote her, but uh, she makes it very clear that it was race, that was the thing, that was the most significant, uh, the salient issue that they had to deal with first. So, mm -hmm. Jonah Truth, before she can begin to articulate the absurdity of female subjugation, she has to first straighten out or at least address the race factor. Mm -hmm. So again, race, then class, then gender. It, it's just a, a normal thing, you know. Like I said, to many people, I didn't create African womanism, the concept in a sense, in and of itself. What I did was observe Black women dating back to antiquity uh, in the, all the way up to the today, okay, in the movement. And I see them acting this way. And this is, this is our prioritization that we express in how we uh, cope with uh, our everyday uh, you know, issues that keep us behind, that prohibits us from experiencing uh, what uh, we were, uh, what we have been, by God, given a birthright of having freedom and happiness as anyone else, okay? And so that's it. It's a, a, a theoretical uh, construct, a methodology that prioritizes race, class, and gender, and has uh, 18 uh, distinct characteristics that I have uh, observed, uh, beginning with self-naming and self-defining. If you don't name yourself, well, look out, somebody's gonna name you. And they generally do a poor job at it and you're trying to correct it, it's not gonna be an easy uh, gesture. It's not uh, easy. So upfront, we need to name ourselves because we know that when you buy a name, you also buy its agenda. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So. So what about the people who say, okay, Dr. Hudson, um, something is inherently wrong with saying race first. Um, with the history of racism in this country, um, how do you respond to people who say that you're practicing reverse racism or something to that effect? How do you deal with that? Well, first of all, Black people cannot be racist. I said this in the 80s, okay? Uh, to be racist means that you have the power to oppress another on the basis of race. I can't be racist. This is not ra uh, reverse racism. It's simply addressing the thing that we are confronted with first and foremost. And let me just read for you a couple of passages, okay, if you don't mind. Okay. Starting with um, uh, Philemon, I'm sorry. Philomena Chiamastetti. In the first chapter, she says, and I'm going to re read it for you. For the majority, she says this in her uh, book called um, uh, Black, The Black Woman Cross-Culturally. Okay, she says here, regardless of one's position, the implication of the feminist movement for the Black woman are complex. Several factors set the black woman apart as having a different order of priorities. She is oppressed not simply because of her sex, but ostensibly because of the race, her race, and for the majority, essentially because of their class. She goes on to say in the next book, uh, Women uh, in Africa and the African Diaspora, for the majority of black women, poverty is a way of life. We're talking about class, right? She says, for the majority of black women, also racism has been the most important obstacle. You hear that? The most important obstacle in the acquisition of the basic needs for survival. 
And then, you know, I love uh, referring to, uh, you know, South Africa and apartheid, you know, it's just lingered forever. It was still legal in the mid to nineties uh, uh, when um, uh, finally uh, Mandela uh, was uh, freed from prison after 20 plus years uh, and became the president. Uh, and he's, uh, this is what uh, Ruth Mapati, who was a South African activist who had observed these uh, bodies of these, these, these kids, all these, these black kids, these South Africans, who had um, who rose up against racism and apartheid, and she says the South African woman faced with the above situation I just described finds the order of her priorities and her struggle for human dignity and her rights as a woman dictated by the general political struggle of her people as a whole. Dictated by that, she says the national liberation—that is the race factor—that. The national liberation of the Black South African is a prerequisite to our own liberation and emancipation as a woman and a worker. That comes first. I'm not the only one who says it. It goes all the way across the board. Uh, when you really look at it and, and stop trying to uh, fit someone else's paradigm, you're going to say, hey, let's get rid of this race factor first, you know, because that's what So Jonah Truth couldn't even go to the front in peace. They hissed at her and jeered at her. She was at an all-women's convention in Akron, Ohio in uh, 1852 uh, among women, the community of women. Why couldn't she be, or why wasn't she welcomed? Because she was Black. And I like the way, for example, uh, Anna Julia Cooper, in her book called A Voice, uh, A Voice in the South, uh, she, uh, in 19, I'm sorry, it was in 1890s when that book came out. Uh, she made this statement and I said, wow, somebody needs to say that and get it straight. She did it for us. Uh, she says, um, and I'm going to read that, uh, that quote directly from, uh, from her. Uh, she says, a voice from the South, woman's cause is man's cause. We rise or sink together, dwarfed or godlike, bound or free. Okay, slavery had just ended in uh, the 1860s. This is 1890s. 30 years later, you know what's still on her mind. Okay, and then you have the Drake Scott decision. You know, it's always on that race thing. That's what has kept us uh, back. People might not announce it or say it, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's just a, 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 something that uh, it assumed to be okay for us to become a victim of the fact that we are black and 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 it's the way people have tried to avoid it is to suggest however and we know it's not true that is not the number one problem it is for black people you know what it was really interesting let me tell you something else since we're talking about this with the affirmative action set asides i just want to mention something i didn't talk about earlier but um this is very interesting on affirmative action set aside. Black people have always had a problem that they had to deal with that was connected directly to their color. And so when this affirmative action set aside thing came around, what they were trying to do is to give an opportunity to, or give opportunities to blacks. Uh, you call it special privileges? Okay, sure but there have always been special privileges. 
And so what happened in the 1990s, 1995, in fact, is the Supreme Court was revisiting that decision on affirmative action set aside. And my husband and I were going to the, um, uh, I had been invited to speak at a, a Toni Morrison uh, symposium. I had co-authored the first book on Toni Morrison, came out in 1990. And so I was invited to speak down there in uh, Nassau on, uh, for that uh, symposium on her works. And uh, as we were flying down, he being a historian, economic historian, uh, asked the question, you know, I wonder how um, the uh, white women are going to be feared on this affirmative action set aside debate or decision is about to be handed down in another week or so. I said, I, I, that's a rhetorical question, I know, because we know they're going to be taken care of, right? I said, but uh, let's just see. Let's just see. I said, but I don't think they're going to have a problem at all. Sure enough, the next week on the way back, the, the uh, decision was made and uh, the Supreme Court handed down the decision that affirmative actions set aside that were uh, racially based were deemed unconstitutional. Unco you know that, 1995. Unconstitutional. I'm like, wow. Okay, next. For those uh, referring to gender issues, they were found fair and okay. So what did I say? All right, black women, for those of you who spend your time on somebody else's agenda with their priorities or whatever, guess what? This proves the fact that when you get through and they have realized everything that they want because you fought with them, guess what? You're going to still be blacking on the bottom and still fighting that race factor. That race factor is your first factor. And I insist on that. I have no reason to apologize because I know that it's pure and simple. Racism is very, very definitely that thing that keeps us behind, that they hold us back with, is the color. Mm -hmm. That's it. So what do, you, what do you think is the most like, attractive um, element of feminism that really pulls us and brings us into that fight? <laughs> oh, well. It's about uh, benefits. Okay, everybody wants benefits, right? Uh, I talked about that in uh, the book. I did the 14th chapter of uh, an edited book by Dr. Delois uh, Aldridge and uh, Dr. Uh, Charlene Young. Came out in uh, 2001, I believe. It might have been 2000. But at any rate, it's called uh, Out of the Revolution. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's uh, the, let's see right here, I got it, let's put it down. It's called the, um, no, that's the one that came out after that. Out of the Revolution, the subtitle is um, The Development of Africana Studies, you know? Because we have to know what to teach our, our kids, you know? We are preparing them to take over, right? And so, um, anyway, I talked about the fact that pretty much the same thing that my mentor, Dick Barksdale, had talked about, who co-edited uh, the first uh, Black Aesthetics Anthology called uh, Black Writers of America, uh, a um, comprehensive anthology. Uh, I said, listen, it's like this. When you buy someone else's uh, paradigm that's in charge, they celebrate you. They reward you. With what? Things, all kinds of perks. Things like promotion at the university, um, like tenure, 
like uh, grants that you get, uh, internal and external grants. Uh, people just, you know, give you all this money to do this and that. Uh, it, uh, it just goes on. You even get student uh, that, uh, that become your assistants, you know. You become advisors for dissertations and all that. So you get all kinds of uh, visibility, you know. You, uh, you're given um, uh, all kinds of uh, a little uh, awards for being the person who is most diverse, da-da-da, at the institution. They, they do everything to make you, make you think that you're doing the right thing. But in your heart, if you're authentic, you know that's not true, okay? So it's the perks. It's the benefits that you get. Now, in addition to that, a lot of people don't do it because they don't know it. Because they have so done, that they've done a big thing in trying to silence the authentic writers. You know that. In fact, uh, in the uh, book that I edited that's called um, Contemporary African Theory, Thought, and Action, a guide to Africana studies. That was one of the things that uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Jake Carruthers said. You know, you've heard of Jake Carruthers out of Chicago, mm -hmm. that uh, they silence us. You know, even some of our own silence us because it behooves them to also agree with the other that their agenda is, you know, it works for us too when we know it doesn't. Okay. So, that's about it. I think it's all about uh, uh, benefits, the perks, the money. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why is Africana womanism important to us now? Like, what's it, why do we need this now? Oh, we got to have it. Number one is if we do not have a paradigm that is uh, tailored to meet our needs and demands, we're doomed. It's simple as that. Um, Africana womanism uh, promotes family centrality, as I've said over and over again, which means we don't have space, time, or interest, and we shouldn't, in uh, uh, dividing ourselves on the basis of uh, gender. We need each other in order to do it. That's how we got out of slavery. If it was a thing for just women to do, <laughs> how far do you think we would have gotten? We'd still be in shackles, okay? Men and women had to work together, okay? So we have to think about something that's going to work for us as a group. Africana people worldwide have to come together. It's a collective thing. Love each other and work together. Of course, we don't have to be uh, uh, the best. Nobody has to be the best. I mean, nobody's perfect, you know? We don't mind saying, hey, I wish you would do it this way, or I wish you would give me a little of this or a little attention here and there or whatever, this is not fair or whatever. We do that. Black women speak out. You know that. I mean, we were the models for white women, quite frankly. When you think about it, you know, they say, ah, they, black women are very open and verbal. They speak out. Well, we should, uh, we want to break silence and find voice. Aren't we the model for that? Black women have always been co-workers uh, uh, with their uh, male companions, you know? And, and, and so the feminist said, ah, we want to... Uh, move from the home place to the workplace. Well, I hardly know a silent black woman or one who doesn't work and participate to a degree. I mean, you have a, a few examples where you have just a stay-at-home mom, but that's not usual. Usually we're in it together. We're sharing in the economy because it has been traditionally instilled to a great extent uh, a, a situation where we've been discriminated against uh, economically as well. And so we make less money, 
Okay, that's been, it used to be more obviously so, mm -hmm. but it still, it still rains high. So at any rate, I'm saying that if we don't um, understand that we need each other instead of breaking uh, and parting from each other, we're going to find ourselves out there holding the ball by ourselves and being very, very helpless in the end. We've got to stick together. Africana womanism calls for us to stick together. The poem, for example, um, that I wrote, and it was interesting. I was on my way to a, uh, a conference. Um, the first, uh, uh, in fact, the first um, Africana womanism uh, symposium that was in uh, Pittsburgh. This is in 19, I'm sorry, 2010. And I was at the airport uh, changing flights uh, in, um, can you see this? If not, don't worry about it. I'll read no. it. Uh, I was in, I was in, uh, uh, I was in um, Milwaukee, uh, two hours, and I just wrote this poem and dedicated it to all Africana people. It's called Africana Woman is My Got Your Back, Boo. You've heard of that poem, I'm yeah. sure, right? Well, I wrote that poem, and I, I, I think that what I wanted to do was to just summarize uh, first of all, the prioritization of race, class, and gender, and also to uh, to show how important it is for us in a poem now to stick together, because if we don't do that, we're going to find ourselves uh, in a stupor. It says, don't you know by now, girl, we're all in it together. Family centrality, that's it. We're going nowhere without the other. That means the men, the women, and the children too. Truly collectively working. I got your back, boo. Racism means the violation of our constitutional rights, which creates ongoing legal and even physical fights. This first priority for humankind is doing what it must do. Echoing our first lady, Michelle, I got your back, boo. Classism is the hoarding of financial privileges, privileges we must have right now in pursuit of happiness. Without a piece of the financial pie, we're doomed to have a coup. Remember, each must protect the other. I got your back, boo. Sexism, the final abominable sin of female subjugation, a battle we must wage right now to restore our family relations. All forms of sin inevitably fall under one of the three offenses. African womanism, in it together, corrects our common senses. What are they? Race, class, and gender. They're there, and they are there together, and we have to deal with it together, not in isolation, okay? I got your back, boo. So I'm trying to, uh, I think that uh, I, what we need to understand is that we're not each other's enemies. And that's what seems to be coming across, okay? Instead, we are, as uh, Paul D. says in Tony Morrison's uh, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning novel, beloved, you are your best thing. You are, and I got you. You can fall, do anything, but I got you. It's like I got your back. He's right there with her. And that's what we have to remember. That's the way it always was. And that's the way we've got to bring it back to that now. And when you see us coming together in, uh, in uh, you know, uh, rising up against the oppression or whatever, if we don't come in large numbers and together, and we can only get that large number together, then we're not going to be very effective in our uh, demands. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, have you had like instances where, um, you've heard stories or um, you've received feedback from others about how Africana womanism have, have changed the, per, the trajectory of 
um, the lives of, you know, anyone, a group, people, so forth. Oh, yes. It's been written up. In fact, uh, <laughs> there was a, um, an, um, yeah, there is a, um, an article that came out in, um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing this in the seminar, the, not a, I call it seminar, whatever, but uh, uh, that's coming up. But anyway, there, there was this uh, a group of uh, women and, and the two that actually wrote it up, uh, and I have it in my annotated bibliography in the book that just came out with Rutledge Press back in, uh, nine, eight, eight, I'm sorry, 2019, that's a few months ago, October. Uh, these women uh, were um, a part of a group that wanted to work towards changing the lives of, of, of women uh, who were in abject poverty. And they talked about this whole thing of moving from shack dwellers to homeowners. You know, that was amazing. Uh, in that uh, particular uh, article that came out in the Journal of Namibian Studies, uh, the title is From Shack Dwellers to Homeowners, The Power of the MBOP, Africana Womanism, and Self-Help Housing Among the Shack Dwellers Federation of Namibia. That came out in um, 2016. What they said is that they practiced those 18 characteristics of Africana womanism daily. Mm. What are those characteristics? Put a pin in that. Let me just tell you what happened. When they practice those 18 characteristics daily, they moved from shack dwellers to homeowners. Now, what are those characteristics? First, name yourself, self-namer. That's very important. People, in African cosmology, they call it nomo. It's through the proper naming of a thing that comes into existence. So you give yourself a good name, okay? A name that means something. Okay, Africana womanism. It means something. You're connecting with the land, the home base, and you are a woman, but it doesn't mean that you're anti-male, okay? So that's self-naming, self-defining. Put a definition to it. Say what it means. It means family centrality. It means the prioritization of race, class, and gender. It means the 18 characteristics, self-naming, self-defining, family-centered, in concert with the male in the struggle. Those all sound very, very plausible. Those are goals that we and activities that we participate in. Genuine sisterhood, strong, okay, and sisterhood is very important. I wrote a chapter in African Women's Literary Theory that came out in 2020. Af uh, genuine sisterhood or lack thereof. The problem is a lot of us are beginning to hate on each other as opposed to loving each other and, and helping each other like we're supposed to. Okay, but <clears throat> genuine sisterhood, strong, this is physically, emotionally, psychologically. Uh, also whole and authentic. Whole meaning well-rounded. Authentic means culturally connected. Flexible role players. We're not trapped in any particular role. When we look at the women in African antiquity, for example, you have Yaasatawa. Uh, she um, held that war down against the Portuguese. This is, uh, you know, during this whole thing of colonization uh, for 40 years. Because a lot of times men were off in different little wars. Sometimes they would be uh, tribal wars or whatever. Somebody had to hold the front down. 
So women didn't say, well, I can't do that. I just got to hold my hand and sit back and wait for the man to come and protect me. No, we, we do what we have to do. Okay. We will, we'll take care of things in your absence. Okay. It's no problem. So this whole thing of a, a flexible role player, we do that. I, uh, someone asked me about uh, the fact that I was going so many places, uh, you know, to speak. <coughs> and what do you do when you get home? Do you have time to do that domestic stuff, you know, cooking and all that stuff? I said, I love doing that. I love doing it. I, I, I'm a cook. I enjoy it. I grew up as a child uh, trying to be like my mother, you know. Uh, I said, but uh, if, if the food is not there, you know, don't come in saying, what's for dinner? Do you smell it? No. We decide the question should be, where do you want to go for dinner? That type of thing. We, we, we are not trapped in any roles. We are flexible role players. That we are respected, we want it, and we want recognition. But we also must realize that those elements are reciprocal. Too many women, you know, I've heard them over and over again talk about black men and men in general as being just really dogs. You know, they just don't know how to treat women. They don't know how to respect women. I say, I can't believe you're in the same utterance, asking for respect, calling them what? Dogs. If you want respect, you have to give it. It's simple as that. It's reciprocal. Spiritual, we know that there's something bigger than us that's in control of this universe. Okay? Male compatible, it doesn't matter what your sexual preference is. The only way the human race is going to continue is with male-female interaction. At some point, whether it's in the sperm bank or in uh, the private uh, domain, uh, it's going to be a, 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 a merger of some sort, uh, a union uh, with the male and the female. In other words, uh, the sperm and the, uh, and the egg, that's it. So that male compatibility is very important. It takes both of us. Respectful of elders, we need to do that. Go back to respecting those who laid the ground for us. Uh, adaptable, you know, it's like when I looked at uh, Virginia Woolf out of England, talking about a room of one's own. That was the name of one of her books. And, uh, and the importance of having one separate space. You would see her, you can just imagine her uh, putting on her gloves and getting her keys together and going to the office uh, to, to become this professional that she wants to be. We don't need that. We're adaptable. What does Toni Morrison do when she ended up, she, she, she and her husband divorced early on. And so she raised the two boys by herself. Uh, that was no problem. Uh, she knew that she had to uh, wear more than one hat. Uh, while she she cooked, you know, she'd have probably the baby on the hip, you know, stirring the food and put the babies down, uh, let them uh, go to bed early. And then all of a sudden that kitchen becomes the uh, office and that uh, that table becomes the desk. It's no problem. We adapt. We are adjustable. We have no problems with that that we are ambitious because we know it takes two to tango. We have to work together. That we are mothering and nurturing, my God, without apology. Too many people apologize for uh, being domestic. In fact, uh, in the book, um, it's the same thing, uh, in the African Women's Reclaiming Ourselves, we have, uh, we have this woman, uh, this is actually in chapter three of the book, called, um, uh, what is it called? Let me get it. It's called The Theoretical Need and Practical Usefulness. A theoretical need and, problem, uh, and practical usefulness. Here you have this woman coming behind Betty Friedan, who is the signature for this whole feminist movement in the uh, 60s. Her name is Sylvia Ann Hewlett. And Sylvia Ann Hewlett, in her book called A Lesser Life, 
calls the activities of domestic activities of mothering and nurturing and all that tasks for feeble-minded girls and eight-year-olds. I'm like, are you serious? Is that all? Is that all the credit we get for um, nurturing uh, and loving our children, mothering our children? Okay, that's uh, that's real sad. And in fact, uh, Betty Friedan later re-evaluated uh, and reconsidered her position of decentering uh, the uh, the uh, family and put it back to the center, like it should be. Uh, and other people should think about that too. But we don't have to wait till other people do it. We need to do it ourselves. We need to. M many of us still that way. If you talk to the average woman outside of academia who doesn't get any of those benefits, the perks, you know, if she's a feminist, almost invariably, they will say no. It's just like that because they know that, and they may not have the word African womanism. They may have not heard of it, but they do know one thing. And that is the fact that they are not the feminist and that they are not ordinarily anti-male, okay? Uh, I'm not saying that feminism is all that, but traditionally uh, mainstream feminism did uh, take that posture. I quoted in my book some of the things that they said that were quite uh, uh, isolated and alienated for males. They, they call the males their uh, number one enemy. Uh, we've never thought of our black men as our number one enemies. Some of them do now because uh, it's been taught that uh, the males, it's, it's this whole age old, I could call it uh, age old, people call it that, battle of the sexes. You know, we, we're not doing that, you know, traditionally. Some are, are buying into it, that happens, uh, but still the majority of black women are not doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we need to do is to let them know that there is a paradigm that's been out there since the 80s. The call for African womanism I made in an article that came out in the late 80s after I presented that uh, paper uh, in um, uh, Boston. I did two that year, one in Boston, and then the next month I did one in Philadelphia for the African Heritage Studies Association Conference. And both of them were published. One was uh, specifically uh, interpreting uh, uh, Black uh, uh, writers like uh, Zornia Hurston from an African womanist perspective, and the other was actually dealing with just the paradigm itself. Uh, so it's out there. We just need to spread the word that we have, uh, we have some things out there uh, that are really, really uh, reflective of who we are and how we go about our lives every day and what our priorities need be for us to, uh, to realize ultimately uh, uh, victory, uh, happiness you know all those things that uh that god has promised us we can realize it but we have to we have to work toward that ourselves and so african womanism tries to do just that okay mm -hmm. uh i've had uh, a lot of uh, people other than just the article that i just alluded to um that will come to me and say wow you know uh this has actually you know saved uh my relationship mm -hmm. with my significant other because i just uh looked at him as being, you know, an enemy <laughs> because that's what, that's what I'd been taught that uh, the male has uh, tried to hold us down. Well, they have some inclinations. We know that. All we have to do is to do what we always do and that's to speak up. <laughs> mm -hmm. People do listen when we speak up, right? right? We have to continue to be our authentic selves. That's all. Yeah. And I know for me, like one of the things that I can attest to is um, how Africana womanism has helped me 
um, in my practice as a therapist working with Black women. Mm -hmm. um, this concept of the family centrality, a lot of times when people come into therapy, a lot of times the, the, the mothering relationship is kind of the thing that triggers the trauma and triggers the depression, the anxiety. And, and, and so in my work, like I often um, talk to um, Black women about, you know, re-examining that relationship and looking at, you know, putting yourself in your mother's shoes and trying to um, understand what it is or what how did it feel for uh, um, a single woman to raise seven or five children you mm -hmm. know without a male in the home or having to go to work you know having to do all those different things without having a centralized family and a counterpart and so mm -hmm. when they're able to look at that and examine that a lot of times you know it provides a lot of relief to people knowing the mom didn't do this because you know she didn't like you or she didn't want to be nurturing to you it was like she had all these demands that society mm -hmm. really placed on her um exactly. get an education you can do it along you know all these demands that she's trying to meet you know without the necessary support and so therefore the children sometimes take ownership the, the the boys the girls you know take ownership of that and sometimes that can be traumatic for a, a a kid growing up having to play the role of dad um in the home or the second mom in the home yes and i know oftentimes that's part of our relationship but we need uh, as black people we need a community to do that that's like, true like the old saying goes it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, it's definitely I can attest to that change and also change in my life. You know, with you know that's the, an old African habit. Addict. <laughs> that's true. And you know, it's, the thing about it is they don't understand. Uh, and then that the first, the mother has to understand what she's doing. It's consciously done for the children. I remember my mother uh, when I was a child. She had a um, a nice uh, restaurant. We used to love to go there. You know. And, and eat and everything and uh she enjoyed it because she loved to cook this is what this is where i got this passion for cooking from but uh when i was uh, when i was in the fifth grade and my sister the year old and i was in the sixth grade my mother suddenly decided to change her career and you know what she did what? she went to cosmetology school and she said she wanted to go there so that she can keep her girls pretty <laughs> wasn't that unselfish that's why she decided not to clear blue that uh, these girls are going to be in junior high after a while. The one in sixth grade is going to go to the second, seventh grade next year. That's junior high. And I want to make sure they look good. And she, uh, she uh, went on to beauty school, got her license, opened up one of the fabulous uh, beauty salons uh, that was only a few blocks, maybe about five, maybe less than five, about three blocks from my college, my undergraduate, my alma mater, Lamont College in Memphis in Mississippi and Walker. Well, that's where Ida B. Wells had her set up but just a couple of blocks down Mississippi and what was it, Saxton, but just about three blocks from my mother's shop. She had seven operators that she had uh, brought into her, uh, her shop and they, they were great. They did everybody's hair. <laughs> you know, everybody wanted to go there because she was, a, she was great at it. So why did she do that? For us. Parents are going to school sometimes. They go for themselves. A lot of times they go so they can better take care of their kids. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to do. They want to be able to uh, to help them with their work at school, their schoolwork and all that. All those things are unselfishly done. Mothering and nurturing is just a real natural instinct for us. 
And sometimes people don't see it or don't understand, uh, you know, what it is all about. But that's what it's all about. It's about taking care of the family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. That was just, uh, you know, uh, I enjoyed the conversation with you. I know that you have some new and exciting things happening uh, with yourself. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you're planning and where can we, you know, hear more from you? You know, where can we contact you? You know, where can we find um, Dr. Hudson? Well, you know what? The the best thing to do, like if they just, a lot of people just Google the name uh, and and so much shows up, you know, they see, uh, they see uh, articles, they see books and they see book endorsements. Uh, They see particulars. You'll see the 18 characteristics all over the internet, you know, Uh, but what is, what is really, really happening within three weeks from today is uh, this, uh, this event that I'm, uh, I'm planning. It's actually, um, uh, it's, it's exciting. I I wake up thinking about it, but it's uh, um, um, a one, and a half hour event once a week for four weeks. It's a family affair. Does that sound interesting to you? Mm-hmm. It's a family affair part one. It's uh, you can see it through Zoom or webinar. I don't know which one would be which at whatever time. I think Zoom uh, does not accommodate as many uh, as webinar does. I think with Zoom, you might have up to maybe 300 uh, participants, but you can have up to 10,000 uh, observers or um, uh, attendees, I would call them. Uh, and it's going to be uh, on Sundays, uh, starting June the 28th. And we wanted to wait July, but then it'll be so far in July, the first week would have already passed. So we decided to just go and get the last couple of days of June. So June 28th, it goes up to July the 19th, okay? Uh, a family affair. It's African womanism in it together, men, women, and children for love, equity, and prosperity. We need the money too. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that too. You know, that's important that we create some uh, ways of increasing our funds, you know. Uh, and so um, I go on to, uh, you know, talk about um, some of the particulars, the goals, for example, for this conference is to empower all African people. That is for love and collectivity to bring our dreams to full fruition via responsibly practicing like those women did in uh, 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 Namibia, those 18 characteristics of African women. We got to know them and practice it and see if we can't enjoy the, 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 the beauty of life like some others are doing. Joy and success, we want that too. Um, and so uh, we are going to uh, go through this uh, four-week period of one and a half hours every Sunday for, those, uh, for that period. Uh, and uh, at the end of it, you're going to get a certificate. Let let us know and let just be reminded that you have uh, taken uh, some time uh, to strategize yeah. uh, to make your life better. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to ask that uh, that uh, that the attendees and the uh, um, the um, I guess you would call them participants purchased the book called African Womanism Reclaiming Ourselves. You can see that on uh, internet as well. Bring it up uh, some. Can you see it? Yes. Mm-hmm. There it is. Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, that was published by Rutledge Press out of uh, New York and London. Um, and it came out, as I said, last uh, October. It's doing quite well. 
Also, you might want to get the other book called Africana Woman's Literary Theory. We're going to be doing some specific chapters here. This is very important. It gets very much in details, you know, for us. But that book came out in 2004. Very, very appropriate. It, 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 it actually has chapters that highlights and that really gets off into the dynamics of some of those 18 characteristics like uh, uh, family centrality, like uh, uh, genuine sisterhood, like male-female relationships, all those things, even giving you uh, some 15 uh, characteristics of male-female relationships, positive and negative, so you can be aware of those. And when you see it happening, you say, oh, let's stop this one, okay? We want to be loving as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, looking at each other as rivals, competing. We don't need to do that. And so we're going to be dealing with that to better ourselves all the way. Uh, we'll see what, uh, I have some other things there for you. You can see how uh, there's an article, a very important article that came out uh, in South Africa. It's called Southern, the Southern Times. Uh, it's the, um, um, the African uh, uh, newspaper, uh, South African newspaper that covers that whole area, that whole region, in fact. And uh, the lady closed with the fact that she found uh, African womanism, uh, how did she say? Um, amazing. <laughs> She's one of the top uh, journalists there. So we need to look at all this. Uh, we're going to be taking out one of those sessions just looking at Toni Morrison. I mean, she's the first Black uh, female, African-American female to win the Nobel Prize for Literature back in 1993. Interestingly, the same year that African Womanism came out, 1993. Uh, there she was. Um, and so we're going to detailly uh, look at that, at that, uh, that particular um, um, book. But just to give you a little, if you want me to give you some more details about it, you know, uh, I have a flyer that's mm -hmm. going out today. I wanted, to, I wanted to do it earlier, but we thought that we'd just kind of pause for a minute, mm -hmm. let things work out, and then we'll come back and, and revisit this. But it should be coming out today, the flyer. But also I have uh, a more detailed uh, lineup of some of the issues that we'll be dealing with uh, for this course. Would you like to hear some of those? Sure, sure. Okay. Like, for example, the first session uh, that's going to be uh, uh, June, uh, June the 28th, uh, open. It's sort of like an overview. What is Africana womanism and Africana melanated womanism? You're going to want to know the difference, okay? Uh, I make it very simple to say that Africana melanated womanism is a terminological evolution. Uh, the African woman it has always been uh, inclusive of women uh, globally, you know, but it's more, uh, I guess you would say, uh, more obviously presented uh, in, in that way. So the terminological evolution more than anything else is what we see. Anyway, but still, people don't know what African womanism is. We're going to define that very clearly and give you the chapters specifically that you can look at uh, in your uh, books that will take you uh, to that. Uh, also, uh, we want to deal with this priorities uh, uh, in combating racial dominance. That's the main thing. Mm -hmm. We want to combat racial dominance. What are the priorities? We know now. Race, class, and gender. And why is it more appropriate to Blacks than other female-based theories? We saw that when I talked about the Supreme Court decision in 1995. Uh, we realized, wow, I worked hard for the other gender. Now I'm still, what, Blacking on the bottom. That's why. Because when you're dealing with someone else's paradigm and uh, as being yours, and it really isn't, 
you're going to be holding the stick in the end. That's, that's clear. So that's why uh, African woman is, is more appropriate because it was tailored to meet our demands and needs. We want to identify those 18 characteristics and define each one of them very clearly. And then we're going to close each uh, session with uh, comments. Uh, and of course, it's going to be done via chat because this is going to be a global uh, event. People all over uh, chat, you know, teaching African womanism. In fact, uh, the first international African womanism conference was held at the University of Zimbabwe in 2010. And so we are looking forward to uh, that again. So many things have happened. We thought we had it all scheduled a couple of years ago, and then there was a cholera outbreak. And then, of course, there's been a lot with, uh, you know, the political climate, et cetera. But we're going to get there. It was fabulous. Uh, the uh, vice president of the Republic of Zimbabwe did the opening welcome. It was a female, and it was great. I was introduced to the uh, president of, uh, uh, of uh, Zimbabwe. In fact, uh, I was one of the... Um, VIP holders there. Uh, I remember the guy escorted me up there uh, and I looked and I said, okay, VIP. And I looked and I'm like, what is this VVIP? He said, oh, doctor, that means very, very important people. I said, that's <laughs> what I think I want. When I get back to the U.S., I don't want any more VIPs. I want VVIP. <laughs> but it was a wonderful experience. I mean, people were there from all over, even from the U.S. I remember when I first uh, got to the hotel that night, uh, uh, I you know, got out the uh, limo. Uh, it wasn't limo. It was a, a, I guess you call it a, it was some type of bus, like I've forgotten what it's called, but at any rate, walked into the uh, uh, lobby and I hear this voice saying, doctor, I'm here. All the way from LA. That's where he was from. They'd come in from uh, California, you know, from Oklahoma, from Delaware, of course, from uh, Columbia, Missouri, because that's where I am, but they had them from, you know, South Africa, including Botswana, you know, it was just great, you know, and so we're looking forward to that. So those are some comments uh, that people might want me to talk about in my experience when I spoke at the University of Zimbabwe, when I spoke at the University of uh, uh, Nigeria in Suka, you know, it's, it's been really great and we'd like to talk about that, but also they may have questions and answers and with the chat, they can just, uh, present the questions, send it to me, I'll read it, and then I'll, you know, explicate. So that's how it's going to do. And then, of course, we the week two is going to uh, focus on theory. The, uh, uh, the first is purely theory, and the second is theory applicability. In other words, to apply theory to life and also uh, literary texts, okay? Uh, so that's, uh, that's, the, that's the one that we want to look at um, some of the, we hit some novels here and there, but we also want to look at movements like the civil rights movement. And by the way, in this book, African Womanism Reclaiming Ourselves, the fifth edition, it's a special section, it's uh, part three that we didn't have in the original uh, classic, the 1993 classic. Here we have chapter 13, African Melanated Womanism and the King, that's Dr. Arnold the King, Parks, that's Rosa Parks, and Teal, this Emmett Teal Connection. It's three. They come together. You can't talk about, I've said that over and over again, you can't talk about the civil rights movement when I talk about the father of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Dr. King led us through it, but then of course, who's the mother? The one who actually had been forever until the, we started focusing on uh, Teal as being the, uh, uh, the, the real thing behind it. Well, she's the one who popularized it. But uh, it was Dr. King, uh, we know that uh, Emmett Teal happened before Rosa Parks 
uh, demonstration. He was murdered, uh, lynched in 1955, October. I'm sorry, August. August 28th. Three months later, December 1st, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. He set the stage for the Montgomery bus boycott. So you can't talk about King without talking about Rosa Parks. You can't talk about Rosa Parks without talking about Emmett Till. That's the Till, uh, that's the uh, King, Parks, and uh, Till connection. Uh, also, um, and we want to look at that within the African womanist perspective because that's what we do. We work together. We, 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 we uh, engage in movements, uh, in, uh, whatever it takes to bring us what we need, we do it together. Just remember that we do it together. And we are gonna be looking at some of the definitive quotations that in a way I feel uh, in some way uh, call for African womanism even before it came out, the terminology and the paradigm refined. Uh, so I'd like to see what some of the people said uh, that uh, was supportive of a uh, a uh, idea, uh, su such an idea, I should say. Uh, so again, closing with questions and answers and comments. And we three, as I said, we're going to focus exclusively on Toni Morrison's uh, Beloved. That's a very powerful novel. Uh, so we look at that. Um, All Parts Equal, that's a, a wonderful chapter that we find in African Women's Reclaiming Ourselves. And I reprinted that in this book. And by the way, this book again came out in uh, October the same year, uh, the same month, I should say, and year that Toni Morrison's last work came out. Her last uh, piece was published the same time this was published. It's interesting. Uh, also, finally, we're going to have a celebration. The last uh, session we're going to have, we're going to have a special surprise guest or guests who are supportive of African womanism. And they will, you know, give us even more information about the importance of African womanism. Uh, we're, gonna be, we're gonna actually come to that decision that we have to love ourselves and accept responsibility, okay? So in, in protecting ourselves and, and have to realize that it all starts with us. That's how it starts. We have to ourselves love ourselves. We have to ourselves be responsible for ourselves. We have to ourselves protect ourselves. And we're going to talk about this. This is how we get better. We're going to look at common uh, missions that African womanism have shared with others uh, in uh, other parts of the world, etc., as well as here. Uh, we're going to talk about transformation. That we're going to have testimonies, uh, like the one that you just talked about. How you found it uh, uh, very, very. Uh, beneficial for you in, in your practice. Uh, we're gonna hear this from, uh, from the participants, uh, how uh, just, uh, and some of them are gonna be participants who are already practicing African womanism, how it has changed their lives. We're gonna make a pledge to ourselves, a pledge to our family and a pledge to society in it together. And we do have to do this together. We need to articulate this together. And on the wrap up, we're gonna talk about passing this legacy on to our future generations. That's very important. Uh, that's it. I, I think it's, I'm excited. I, I, I can hardly wait uh, to have this uh, global um, family affair event. Uh, for four weeks, we're gonna be doing it just once a week, but for four weeks, we're gonna do it. And I think it's gonna be great. Well, thank you. Now, if anyone is interested in joining this webinar, um, how do they contact you? Do they contact you via email or? 
it might be best right now because I have a, a very tight schedule to just email me and they can email me. My private email address is um, K-L-E-Y, the number one, C-H-W at gmail.com. And then uh, let me repeat that. K-L-E-Y, one, C-H-W, those are my initials, at gmail.com. And then, of course, uh, when, we, when you do that, we can actually decide when we might be able to talk for a, a few minutes before or whatever, you know. But that's the best way is to send me that, uh, that email at that uh, email address. Right. That's it. But by the way, uh, when they see this, um, you know, I think I better put that on there. But when they see this uh, flyer. flyer, they'll see it. Uh, I have a, a new website that's uh, just going up good. It's in the process of finalizing itself. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's HTTPS colon slash slash Clonora Hudson. C-L-E-N-R-A-H-U-D-S-O-N.com slash. That's it. So uh, when they uh, when they see that, you know, they, they can always, uh, you know, see other, you know, information there, uh, contact information uh, that they can uh, use in trying to, in some way, you know, reach out. But we're, we're going to be all over the place, I promise you that, very soon. And today is exactly three weeks, which is just enough time for us to, you know, jump on it. You know, we don't want it to be too far in the future because who, who, who wants to wait a long time before it happens? Yes. Three weeks, that's nice. Three weeks from now, you join me and we're going to have a family affair. Yes. <laughs> and I think that it's important, you know, in this time. Absolutely. Of, of Absolutely. So many things going on that we also focus on our healing um, because, you know, racial injustice um is a disservice to all people everywhere. exactly exactly and so and it's very traumatic to people um all over the world and so we want to make sure that we heal we not only focus on you know um the external things but we also focus on the internal things and i think that that's what africana womanism does it, it heals the soul and it helps us to move yes. forward in a more productive way so absolutely Mm -hmm. So I thank you so much for joining me on um, the journal with Naya Amara. You can find this journal on Apple uh, under Naya Amara. And I just wish you well. And I pray yeah. for your health, wealth, and prosperity. And we are going to be working together. I look forward to seeing you more and more. Who knows? You might be the person that does a follow-up sometimes for us on these events, you know. But this is going to be a forever thing for us. This is the beginning. Yes. Of the beginning for us. Okay. Thank you. Look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Talk to you soon. Bye. Alrighty. Bye bye now.